Well, greetings, Grace Chapel. Great to be with you all today on this second Sunday of Lent and last Sunday of winter. Okay, I just declared it, all right? Uh, in this season of Lent, we are beginning each message by reading together or standing for the reading of uh, the particular text for that day. So would you stand with me as I read for us from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and this is the passage we'll be spending a few minutes with together today. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, have you ever heard someone say about another person, he has no filter? <laughs> it's actually a fairly common expression uh, these days. We use that to describe someone who speaks without thinking, who doesn't stop and ask himself if what he's about to say is true or appropriate or helpful, doesn't consider whether or not this is the right time or place or whether these are the right words to say what he's about to say. He just blurts it out. Now, generally speaking, it's not considered a good thing to have no filter. And yet here we are suggesting that God allows and even welcomes unfiltered prayers. Now, there's something incongruous about that. If you're going to use a filter with anybody, it seems like the king of the universe might be a good place to start. And yet as we make our way through the scriptures and in particular through the gospels, we find person after person coming to Jesus and just saying whatever they're thinking or feeling at the moment. Even if it's careless, spontaneous, reckless, irreverent. In the gospels, people or Jesus steps into people's lives in all kinds of moments, awful moments, wonderful moments, frightening moments. And in those moments, people just speak what they're saying or what they're thinking or feeling. And sometimes it's raw, it's not pretty, it's not polished. But Jesus seems to be okay with it. Like he'd rather start a conversation than avoid one, even if it gets off to a rough start. Last week, for instance, a couple of blind men hounded Jesus, following after him in a crowd, hollering this outrageous prayer, Son of David, have mercy on us. And while Jesus seemed to ignore them for a while, eventually he heard their cry, healed them on the spot, and turned them into witnesses of his power and glory. We learned that sometimes the best prayers are unfiltered. Now, I don't know about you, but... I offered some unfiltered prayers a couple of days ago when I 
read the stories of what happened in New Zealand. What the heck, Lord? I mean, what's wrong with people? What's wrong with the world? How could this happen? Those were the words and thoughts that, that came to my mind. And I have to believe that those weren't the harshest or the most pain-filled prayers that were offered to God this past week. Is God okay with prayers like that? How does he respond when we pray in the heat and the hurt of the moment? During the season of Lent, we're looking at some of these unfiltered prayers that we find in the gospel. The first words people speak to God in the flesh when he's standing right in front of them. And we're hoping to enrich our understanding of prayer and our practice of prayer and our relationship with Christ. And so in addition to our Sunday messages, we're also, many of us, reading together this, uh, this devotional guide, uh, uh, Rediscover Jesus. And if you didn't pick one up yet, please try to get one today or you can order one online if you need to. Today we're going to learn a little bit about prayer in a time of trouble. So before we get into the story, I'd like you to think for a moment about a time you were in trouble. Any kind of trouble, a health crisis, financial troubles, family strife, a spiritual struggle, a time in life when you felt like you weren't sure you were going to make it. And I know for some, that time may be right now. How do we pray in moments like that? And what can we expect of God in times of trouble? To answer those questions, let's go uh, take a look at this story we read just a few moments ago. See if we can answer some of those questions. I've shared with you before, I think, that every good story has four basic movements to it. The setup, the build-up, the blow-up, and the wrap-up. That's just how they all go. The setup introduces us to the characters and puts things in motion. The buildup raises tension and conflict. The blow-up, something unexpected happens, and the wrap-up resolves the tension. Now, Mark is a master storyteller, so let's follow him as he walks us through these four moments. We'll begin with the setup, verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, on this particular day, Jesus has been teaching the crowd with parables, short stories about the kingdom. And this day came after a stretch of days in which Jesus has been traveling throughout Galilee, preaching and performing miracles, and gaining quite a bit of popularity. On this particular day, we're told, as the day comes to a close, Jesus pulls his disciples aside to spend a few minutes with them personally and explain the meaning of the parables. And I've got to believe that at this point, Jesus' disciples are feeling pretty good about being disciples. I mean, this rabbi they've attached themselves to, Jesus, he's gaining quite a following. And, and he's asked each one of them to join his team. They're on the inside. And so in my imagination, as this day comes to a close, they're hanging out at the boats on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, watching the sunset across the lake, reliving some of the great moments on this road trip with Jesus. And suddenly, along comes Jesus and says, hey guys, 
let's get in the boat and go over to the other side. Now, I've got to believe going to the other side is not what the disciples had in mind at that moment. I mean, for one thing, they were probably tired after this long day. I think all they wanted to do was hang around the fire, tell some stories, bask in the glow of success, and get a good night's sleep. For another thing, the other side was Gentile territory. I mean, who knew what was waiting for them over there? Why venture into uncharted territory when everything's going so well right where we are? Remember what we observed about Jesus last week? Jesus is always on the move. He's always going on to the next thing, the next person, the next chapter, the next encounter. Always going to some new place and, and inviting other people to go with him. Inviting them to go on the boat. So just about the time we think we have things figured out, just about the time things get comfortable, Jesus is likely to come alongside and say, hey, why don't we go over to the other side? And that's when the tension begins to build. So the buildup. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Now, like every good storyteller, Mark includes a few details, vivid details, that kind of bring the story to life for us. For instance, this little phrase, just as he was. Now, what does that mean exactly? They took him in the boat just as he was. Tired? Drained? Appearing very human, perhaps? And then notice that we've got three groups of people here. You've got this crowd of, of curiosity seekers on the shoreline kind of watching things happen. And then you've got these wannabe followers who are in boats kind of tagging along with Jesus but keeping their distance, not quite ready to give up their own boat. And then you've got the disciples who are actually in the boat with Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Which of those three groups of people would you put yourselves in right now? Are you kind of on the shoreline watching other people follow Jesus and see what happens? Are you following after Jesus but kind of still keeping a safe distance, not sure how, how far you want to go with this, how close you want to get? Or have you decided to actually get in the boat with Jesus as close as you possibly can? You see how Mark, the storyteller, is drawing us into the story? And then the tension mounts. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now that phrase, furious squall, is Mark's way of saying a terrible storm which apparently was fairly common on the Sea of Galilee, which is no small body of water. So this is not Walden Pond at sunset, okay? Think Lake Winnipesaukee in a thunderstorm after dark in March. The boat is taking on water, and these seasoned sailors find themselves in some serious trouble. Now notice there's nothing in the story to suggest that Jesus sent the storm as if to teach them a lesson. And Jesus doesn't need to do that. We live in a world where storms happen. 
We live in a world where hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and floods can blow in from out of nowhere. We live in a world where accidents happen, where cars crash, where planes fall from the sky after thousands and thousands of flights without a problem. We live in a world where evil happens, where governments oppress their own people, where a gunman can walk into a mosque or a church or a school and start shooting. We live in a broken world inhabited by broken people. God doesn't need or want to send trouble our way. Trouble just finds us. And there's something else going on here. In the, in the Jewish mindset, the sea was a place of chaos, of unresolved conflict. Remember the opening words of Genesis? In the beginning, the earth was formless and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. In the Jewish worldview, the open water was a, a place where the, the forces of God and evil collided. So this is more than just a storm at sea. This is a spiritual struggle as if evil is threatening to bring them down. And on top of all of that, Jesus, their master, is sound asleep in the stern of the boat. Now, some of you are sailors. I am not. You don't want to be in a boat with me on a nice day, let alone in a storm. And I'll tell you what else. I don't want to be on open water either. I'm a landlubber. I mean, put me in a canoe and I'm fine. I can see the shoreline. That's good. But I don't want to be out on open water in a storm. But I do know this. If you're in a sailboat, the place you steer the boat from is the back of the boat, where the tiller is. Jesus is in the pilot's seat, and he's asleep at the switch. <laughs> and that's when things blow up. The disciples said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, how's that for a prayer? Real spiritual on the part of the disciples. I mean, talk about unfiltered. There's none of this, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. No formal beginning to the prayer. There's not even a polite, Hey, Master, hate to bother you, but we could use a little help here. They go right to DEFCON 1. Maximum alert. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's an accusation, not a prayer. But that's how it feels when we're in trouble. Like we're going to drown. Like we're in over our heads and we're not sure we're going to make it. And notice that the disciples right away assume the worst. A, we're going to drown, and B, Jesus doesn't care. That's right where they go. And that's what we do when we're in trouble. When the doctor calls with bad news, when, when, when the job falls apart or the finances come crashing down on us, when, when a relationship blows up, when the stress and strain of life threatens to take us down, we feel like we're drowning and it feels like God doesn't care. As a pastor, I've walked with a lot of people through a lot of trouble. 
And of course, I've had my own rough days. And I found that when we find ourselves in trouble, our thoughts tend to run along three lines. When we're in trouble, the first thing we tend to think is that God isn't there. I mean, how could he? If he was there, surely this thing wouldn't be happening. Or we think God doesn't care. If he is there and he lets this happen, then he must not care. He must not care about me anyway. Or when, things are, when, when we find ourselves in trouble, we tend to think God can't do anything. Because if he is there and he does care, then he must not be able to help. This situation must be either beyond his control or outside of his authority. I think we tend to think or feel one of those things when things go wrong. God isn't there, God doesn't care, or God can't do anything. And that's how the disciples were feeling. And so that's how the disciples prayed. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It was raw, it was real, it was honest, it was in the moment. Now, in Matthew's account of this story, they do get to, Lord, save us. But Mark, the storyteller, wants us to feel their fear and their desperation and their lack of a filter. Now, again, it's, it's hard to blame them, right? They're in a storm and their master is sound asleep. And they interpret his sleeping as a indifference, lack of awareness. But they could have interpreted his sleeping in other ways. Maybe he was sleeping because he had absolute confidence that his heavenly father was going to get them all to the other side. So why lose sleep over it? Maybe he had confidence in the 12 of them. And he's given these guys a chance to flex their spiritual muscles and their sailing savvy and get them through the storm. Or maybe he's just waiting for the right, just the right moment to act. All kinds of things could have been going on that, that they or we don't understand. But we go right to the worst. And so we pray things like, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And as it turns out, Jesus is okay with that. Because he'd rather start a conversation than avoid one, even if it gets off to a rough start. If that's all we've got in the moment, if those are the words that come to our mind, if those are the feelings that we have, he will meet us there. And look what happens next. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So in spite of their angry, irreverent, lack of faith prayer, Jesus steps into the moment, and he rescues them. He stops the wind, he calms the seas, and he gives them something to think about with their eyes wide open and the water dripping from their beards. After all we've been through, he says, do you still not trust me? It's the question we all wrestle with when we find ourselves in trouble. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's the big takeaway. It was a lousy prayer, but it was a remarkable outcome. Lousy prayer, remarkable outcome. It led not only to their rescue from the storm in that moment, it also led to a fresh revelation of, of the power and glory 
of the one who is in the boat with them. And that takes us to the wrap-up. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. That experience took them to a new place in their experience with an understanding of Jesus. He was with them paying attention. He cared about them and knew exactly what was going on. And he had power like they never imagined. Not just power over disease and demons. He has power over the forces of nature and he has power over the forces of darkness itself. He was able to see them through that storm. Now, we should understand, they're not all the way there yet in their understanding of who he is. I mean, they learned a few things, but they're still not sure exactly who he is or what he's up to. They're going to have to go through a few more storms before they finally and fully get it. But their journey to understanding began with this panicked, irreverent, unfiltered prayer. And that's why the Lord welcomes prayers like that, like, what the heck? And like, Lord, don't you care? And where are you, God? He welcomes prayer like that because it's the beginning of a conversation. Because we're inviting him into our trouble. And once we've invited him into our trouble, now he can begin to do something good, something we maybe never even imagined. One commentator puts it this way. Those most open to receiving Jesus' power in their lives are those who recognize their desperate need for it. And sometimes, an unfiltered prayer is the best way to express your desperate need. Lord, have mercy. Lord, save us. So as I've walked with people through tough times and my own rough experiences, I and they have found again and again and again that God actually is there, that God does care, and that God is able to see us through to the other side. And prayer, even an unfiltered prayer, reminds us of that, points us towards God. So when we're in trouble, prayer reminds us that God is there. It may feel like he's he's not, like he's asleep at the switch, but he actually knows exactly what's going on. When we're in trouble, prayer reminds us that God does care. That's why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world so he could be with us in all the experiences of life, the good and the bad and the ugly. And he suffered the worst that this world has to offer. Rejection, injustice, betrayal, violence, abuse, torture, death. So that he really could be with us when we experience those kinds of things. Prayer reminds us God is there, God does care, and God is able to see us through to the other side. He has power over the forces of nature and disease And yes, he has power over the forces of evil itself. He can and will see us through. Now, when I say he can and will see us through, I don't mean that it always turns out the way we want it to, the way we were hoping it would. 
The Lord rescued them from this storm, that's for sure. But 11 of these 12 men would die in another storm, a storm of persecution, as all of them except John died a harsh and untimely death as far as we know. Jesus promises to see us through trouble, not to keep us from trouble. He doesn't say that bad things won't happen. He says bad things can't ruin us, can't separate us from him, can't thwart his good purpose for our lives and the world. What he promises is that he will be with us and before us no matter what, and that he can give us the strength and the courage and the comfort we need to face whatever life throws at us, even when life throws the worst at us, even when it throws death at us. Sometimes the other side is heaven itself where God promises to take all of us when we trust in him. So I don't have an explanation for what happened in New Zealand this past week beyond the fact that we live in a fallen world inhabited by free people. And all of us at times use that freedom to do foolish, hurtful things. And sometimes people use their freedom to do horrible things like that. And so all I can do at this moment is cry out to God on behalf of those who, who are wounded, those who've lost loved ones, those who are living in fear right now. All I can do is cry out to God and pray that they'll cry out to God in whatever moment they're in, in their pain and their fear and their sorrow. Because I know that if they do, they will discover that God is there, that God does care, that God can see them through this awful moment. Now, most of us, thankfully, are not in moments quite like that. But we've all been in moments when we felt like we were going under, like we weren't going to make it. And some, perhaps, are in that kind of a moment right now. And all we can do is call on God in that moment with whatever words and feelings come to mind, no matter how, how reckless or irreverent they might sound. Because the Lord promises to meet us in those moments, in those feelings, with those words. And this room, the room you're sitting in right now as you listen to this, the room is full of people who will testify that God has been there, that God does care, and that God has seen them through and is seeing them through. In fact, I'd like to invite one of those people to come and share a bit of her story with us here today. Priscilla came to a moment in life when she found herself in trouble. And all she knew was to turn to God. So would you welcome Priscilla as she comes to share a little bit of her story with us. Hi, everyone. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with perfectionism and comparing myself to others. And my name is Priscilla. Hi. I was raised in a Christian home, and at a young age, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive my sins. I didn't always see people act the way they did at church, though, and for various reasons, the message I received 
was that you're worthy if you perform well and achieve. I was bullied in seventh and eighth grade and didn't know how to handle the rejection and feeling like a failure. Instead of seeking help, I pretended everything was all right and kept performing as I thought I was supposed to do. I felt empty on the inside, though, and eventually found acceptance in the partying crowd and turned to drinking, smoking, and dating, things that led me away from God. I continued on through college, got married, had children, and was following my own plans and goals for my life. I was functioning pretty well on the outside. I enjoyed being a mom, with my, spending time with my kids, and my work as, as a scientist. But my marriage and home life was really struggling. I worked hard to portray to myself and to everyone else that my, everything was all right, and just as I had done that all my life. At the end of the day, though, I often turned to alcohol to numb a lot of the pain I was in, rather than accept or deal with the truth. I tried to pray, but just didn't have the words. I didn't know what to even ask for. All I could do was ask God to help, to intervene. Well, thankfully, he did. He told me to stop living the way I'd been living and go to church. It sounds almost too simple, and it took a while for me to respond, but obeying those few words has completely changed my life. He brought me to Grace Chapel, Wilmington. I walked in on the opening Sunday and have been attending ever since. I often felt like the sermons were spoken directly to me, like I was the only one in the room. Though I'd always had faith in God, the message of his grace and forgiveness finally began to sink in. I could put off the shame and the judgment I'd been living with for years. I heard about Celebrate Recovery and knew deep down that it was for me, but I just couldn't bring myself to go. It was easier to assume the role I'd played all my life, to perform and not admit my faults to myself or anyone else. I took a chance, though, and decided to give it a try. But because I wasn't yet ready to completely change my life, I only attended sporadically. Seeds were planted, though, and God kept working on me. And eventually I came to the end of myself and my efforts. I stopped drinking and smoking and surrendered control of my life to God. The following Monday, I was at CR and have been attending regularly ever since. I now celebrate seven abundant years relying on God, free from relying on alcohol and cigarettes. At CR, I'm amazed by the... <laughs> Thank you. At CR, I'm amazed by the authenticity, encouragement, and acceptance that I experience. CR is not just for those who struggle with addictions. It's for anyone seeking a deeper, more authentic relationship with Christ and his church, for anyone seeking help. It has taught me that I can take myself and others off the hook. No one's perfect, and thankfully God's in control, so I don't have to be. I've been able to forgive others and to forgive myself. And God is using CR to restore my life and teach me to live without comparing myself to anyone other than the person he's created me to be. Thank you.
Well, as Priscilla shared, she came to a moment in life where she knew she was in trouble. And the only way she knew how, she cried out to God. Can't even remember the words. My guess is they weren't pretty or polished. They were probably raw and honest. But that's where God met her. That's where a journey began that would lead not only to her freedom from addictions, but to a, a life-saving, life-changing, life-shaping relationship with Christ. And that journey is waiting for you as well. If you or someone you know should be drowning right now in a sea of hurt or bad habits or hang-ups, there's a community, here, community of folks here on Monday nights who would be happy to have you join them. The CR community knows a thing or two about unfiltered prayers. They welcome them, and so does God. So there'll be a table out back if you want to find out more. You can just show up on a Monday night. Now, in just a moment, on each of our campuses, we're going to allow ourselves a, a little bit of time to, to bring our troubles or the troubles of those we love or the world. We're going to give ourselves some time to bring them to God and to worship. But before we do that, let me just bring you back for a moment to those three groups of people we meet in the story. The crowd on the shoreline watching things happen. The wannabe followers tagging along with Jesus but still hanging on to their own boat. And then the disciples who are all in with Jesus. Only one of those groups became eyewitnesses to a miracle. Only one of those groups came to see Jesus as he truly was. And only one of those groups changed the world. Which group are you in? Which group do you want to be in? Jesus is on the move. And he's invited you to join him. All you have to do is get in the boat and call on him when you're in trouble. Let's pray about that. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom to come to you just as we are with just what we're thinking and feeling. Thank you that you welcome us and meet us there. And trust that you're meeting each one of us as we now and in these next few minutes bring our needs and the needs of others before you. Thank you for the encouragement we find in Priscilla's story. Thank you for meeting her and doing a great work in her life and one that continues to unfold. And for the many other stories she represents of folks who are in the room with us today. We want to be part of that story, Lord. We want to follow close and hard after you. We want to be in on the action. We want to see you do good and great things in our lives and in the world. So hear our prayers and meet us here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.